Welcome back, everybody. This is part two of the FTC podcast. Um, most recently, we had kind of gone through a big chunk of it already. And uh, without going too far back in time, we are just going to pick up right where we left off. But I will start out the meeting with the icebreaker this time. I am Todd. I am the CISO for CIT. And um, the, the question is very similar to one that we did before. But as we were talking this morning i kind of had mentioned that I, I have a tendency to wake up with a song of the day in my head i mean it literally is the first thing that i'm consciously aware of is there's a song running through my head and so the question for everybody is what's your song of the day and i will start mine is a song called wide eyes by local natives matthew what was yours uh so mine is don't come back by ren for short um her whole album of dear amelia is pretty much on repeat at some point throughout the day at the moment. Awesome. Nate? I tend not to wake up thinking of songs or uh, listen to much during the day, but uh, since we're recording this on a Friday, I'll say uh, The Cure, um, Friday I'm in Love. Nice. Kelsey? Solid. I was going to say I'm along with Nate that I wake up running through my to-do list instead of a song. But because it was raining out today, I put on Rainy Day Jazz, so it was Lovey and Rose by Louis Armstrong. Song of the Day. What about you, Tara? Mine was by Breland, and it was about Told You I Could Drink. <laughs> Weekend vibes. <laughs> Weekend vibes for a Friday. Here we go. <laughs> I was going to say, we did say it was Friday, didn't we? All right. <laughs> Uh, okay, so as we go back into the FTC, we were talking about the main nine items that are, are being outlined, and we've covered a few of them already, and I believe the next piece where we're at is the design and implementation of the safeguards. Yeah, uh, so basically this is kind of the, the implementations that are inherent to your network and how they should be, well, implemented. Uh, comes down to reviewing your access controls and ensuring they're implemented, uh, knowing what you have data-wise and where it is doing asset management and, and ensuring you know specific data locations. It also goes through ensuring all the data is encrypted, not just when it's standing still, but when it's in transit, uh, assessing apps internal and third-party MFA, which I know we touched on during the last podcast, for anyone who accesses that data. And then disposal of data, once you're done, and the risk assessment, which we, we touched on last time as well. And then finally, logging. Consistent logging across the board, however you're doing that, ensuring everything aligns, same time, same format, etc. Yeah, one of the things I'll add to this is it, we talked about it in the last one. So if you haven't caught that one, might, this might be a good time to go back and catch part one of the FTC podcast. But essentially what we're trying to do is we started the process of going through a risk assessment. And what we're trying to do is figure out what all the risks to the business are. And as you're doing that, you're starting to build the safeguards. Sorry about the dog. Um, you're starting to build those safeguards about whatever those risks are. And you're trying to mitigate them in some shape, manner, or form. And mitigation can come in many forms. I think we've talked about it in several of our other podcasts. But ultimately, what we're really trying to do is make sure that we're we're blocking and tackling, getting our foundation in place. Once that's in place, every organization is going to be in a different spot. So 
you may already have something in place and you're saying, okay, it was good enough for last year, but this year we're going to take it to the next step. That might be as simple as saying my disaster recovery plan was really, really good, but now I really want to dial in my recovery point objectives and my, my time objectives, and that's going to be my maturity piece for this year. One of the things I'll mention there is that maturity comment, because that's that's really what this is about. The, the design and implement safeguards phase of this, I think, is where it's most clear, because all of these sections basically have show it and review it. So you have to have a way of listing what you've done as well as how that's reviewed. So I, I kind of briefly went over all the items in there, but all of it relates to you saying, here's what we're doing. And here's how we know that's what we're doing. It's about consistency for all the items you're using as safeguards. Yeah, Matthew, I think uh, that's a really important point there is um, how do you actually review and test as well? Because there are so many organizations out there today that they're buying products to hit the checkboxes, but aren't validating that they're actually working, right? So, um, you know, one of the most common ways that organizations um, have some type of exploit, whether it be up in the cloud, a firewall, a um, random control that they thought was working, you know, but it wasn't, it's not the tool that tends to fail, it's the people at that point, right? It's the admin who set it up that didn't know better, the admin that set it up to turn it off for a test real quick and forgot to turn it back on. Um, so actually validating that those controls are in place is so critical and unfortunately overlooked, right? And so um, misconfigurations, if you take a look at any of the top um, exploits, you know, or vulnerabilities, I should say, not exploits, uh, is frequently at the top of the list of the reason why uh, organizations will have some type of impact. Exactly. And I feel I'm a, a bit of a broken record on this topic internally. Um, but for me, the, the biggest way to make sure that's being done is ensuring that you're adding documentation and documentation update times to those types of processes when you're doing them. So if you do have times when you're doing a, a test run of something, can you disable something? Making sure there's time at the end. And that's kind of a, a step away, but it, it ties in really heavily with the type of things they're looking for. No. Yeah, what, one of the things I was going to say is what you guys just said makes perfect sense, and it actually ties really well into the next step. Um, and I was going to mention this just in general is there's a reason why we want to focus on making sure that the tool actually is working and it's meeting the the expectation. It just you really want to do it. It's not just for the sake of checking a box. The FTC isn't just randomly making these changes. There is a purpose behind them. Um, and the next step, and just to kind of get that out of the way as I'm talking, is to regularly monitor and test the effectiveness of your safeguards. The other piece of it that I wanted to add on to it before I let the other guys jump back in is as you're going through this, things change year over year. So things that were not a problem last year are. Um, the log4j is a perfect example. People have been talking about supply chain, supply chain, and you saw it all in 21. That was a major issue. But it kind of pivoted a little bit when you're starting to think about what are all the, if you will, the ingredients of the software packages that you're using. That is now part of your supply chain, too. Do you have that kind of insights? And because it wasn't an issue last year, you probably didn't have any safeguards in place to address it specifically. So 
it's time to make sure that you're regularly regularly monitoring it and testing the efficacy. Yeah, one of the if you uh, log for J, you know, for those that don't understand, maybe well, the impact that that had it was massive and everything. That it's a fairly complex technical vulnerability. Um, I'd say even from the if we want to go super basics here, remote desktop. Uh, in the past, if you wanted to access the work network from home, the IT admin tended to open up remote desktop. You would log in from home straight to the server, no VPN or anything, and you're in on the network. Did it get exploited a ton in the past? No. Uh, you know, it, I'm sure people still try it, obviously, but it wasn't as widespread today. You know, it wasn't on insurance saying, do you have this disabled, anything like that. And then over the last, gosh, five or so years or so, we really saw an uptick in open RDP being exploited. And so to Todd's point, there was, it wasn't an issue maybe five years ago, but today it is, you have to adapt. Um, the threat actors, they're creative. They will always try and stay one step ahead of you. Um, and so that's one where we see that even on the firewall isn't the end-all be-all of security controls, although it is kind of the mentality of that's what we're doing to protect the network. There's changes that are happening on the firewalls that you have to stay up to date on. You know, they're pushing new security updates to them or new features to them. If you didn't have a security control in place last year, you might need to this year, right? That's a, a great note. And I, a lot of the would say a lot of i'll say some of the larger hacks that we've heard of recently the entry point was the firewall and and vulnerabilities in the firewall whether they were end of life or hadn't been updated correctly these things happen uh large named uh firewalls have had vulnerabilities that were only found during the attacks on them so yeah definitely worth keeping up on yeah i want to uh, keep uh beating on the whole, you know, test the models and everything. But the one thing that I did want to quick mention about the designing and implementing safeguards and the testing was rather than just going down the list of, you know, yeah, you have to do the encryption and MFA and disposal. The one thing that I want to call out there is, you know, we're a technology company. We love tech. But if you take a look at that list again, it also has administrative controls, which administrative controls are the processes and the procedures that you're doing. That's a cultural thing that your organization yep. is going to have to do. An outsourced IT company like CIT can't always help. We can help guide you along with those ones, but you still have to do that work. Um, and so keep in mind, it's not just, again, throwing more tech at the solutions. Yeah. The one thing that I'd add to this particular piece is that as you start to mature your security program, the testing aspect of it, you can start internally. You can do whatever you need to do so long as you're doing the testing. At some point, you should consider using a third party to come in and validate it for you. If you're really doing it the way you should be, there should be a third party attestation, whether that individual's got or group has no skin in the game, right? They're not selling you equipment, they're not doing anything, they're just coming in and saying, let's do a penetration test to make sure that the controls are appropriate, or whatever the case may be, you should bring that in. Um, again, as you mature, it may not be something you do every year, but you'll want to get on a cadence and start budgeting for it at some point. Yeah. 
and I know we've spent a, a fair bit of time and kind of crossed these two over. A, in my opinion, these two really tie in together. If you if you're putting these in place, you should also be testing and ensuring. And and the language that the FTC has put out does show that. But B, it is pretty intense. A lot of this stuff is not something that if you don't have someone who is your in-house tech guy who has implemented it, it's probably going to seem a little bit unclear. Uh, and that's why there are companies like CIT. <laughs> it's what we do. Um, the There are tools that can do it, but as Nate mentioned earlier, knowing how to implement them so that they're doing their job correctly and not just yelling at you loudly a lot, which most of them will do if you don't set them up correctly, or sometimes even if you do, uh, <laughs> that's that's really part of what needs to be in place. And they are looking for it, they're checking it. So the next one we had, uh, the next one on the list is train your staff. And this one I found really interesting because generally with with these types of items, they talk about training your staff on how to be prepared for, say, phishing emails. They're looking to make sure you have a cybersecurity awareness. But the FTC has gone into a little bit more detail here of making it clear that the entirety of the team needs to be aware of the cybersecurity process. So how is, and we'll get to the incident response plan in a little bit, but how is the incident response plan triggered? How do you begin that process if you notice something? How do you ensure that you're following the rules of the company? A lot of this is just, you know, reading documentation that you may have internally or meeting as a, a group all at once, depending on the size of your organization. But it changes from team to team. It, does your management team have different training to your to your core team? And they've really gone into a lot of detail about how the, that you need to differentiate between those roles. Yeah. One of the things that come to mind is, um, you know, I, I can Matthew said the incident response plans coming up, but um, you know, in terms of things like the phishing training and you know all that kind of stuff, everyone should be doing that if you're not already. But the the more regularly that you test it, you will see significant decreases in the amount of people that um, are clicking malicious links, anything like that, right? So um, if you go take a look at some of the major phishing and training applications based off of what industry you're in it tends to be right around the 20 to 35 percent fail rate before any type of security training goes into place and then after about 90 days you tend to see uh, like a fish a fail rate um, around the four to five maybe up to ten percent and then over a year, most organizations tend to see somewhere between one and three percent, right? So it will drastically reduce the amount of potential, you know, phishing emails that people are clicking on the more regularly you test them, just like a muscle. You know, the more familiar someone is, the more effective they are at using that uh, judgment, right? Yeah, and, and going back to the the, the uh, maturity aspect of it, there are things that we're seeing that are, again, changing this year, and this doesn't necessarily apply to just the FTC. I see it in banking. Um, you're seeing it coming up from insurance, et cetera, is they're asking for individuals that have additional access or those that are going to be of more interest. So 
whomever that is, your executive team, your board of directors, et cetera, they have additional training that's applicable to them. Now, we still want to train everybody. We still want need to have all the pieces in place, but there may be some components that are a little bit extra for some additional individuals. Yeah, one of the things that also comes to mind uh, as we're going through this is still I'm still thinking about those administrative controls uh, for the safeguards up above is the processes and the procedures. Um, Todd, I don't know if you want to maybe help expand a little bit on what if it came down to regularly failing or, you know, as they're testing to make sure that people are actually doing those processes and someone is failing you know, potentially what like what a corrective action looks like and how they could potentially implement that. I, I know that's a slight tangent to FTC and more just general um, management and governance. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't expand on it too much. It might be something that we'll do. I just know we're kind of getting into the, the meat of the, the podcast already. But I would say that there are things of, again, don't just put your program in place and go, I checked the box and moved on. I will tell you, it is worse to have a policy in place that does not get followed than to have no policy. Your auditor, if you ever get to a situation where the FTC comes to see you, if you've got a policy that you are not doing, they will be very unhappy with you, um, much more so than not actually doing it. So um, coming in and telling you you have corrective actions, if you haven't fixed it, they will and there'll probably be some fines that go with it, et cetera. So when we're getting into things like corrective actions and whatnot, it'll be it'll be punitive and it'll be painful. So um, getting in front of it, starting to do the stuff we're talking about is, is start, right? That's the first place is just getting going. And then we start to mature it out a little bit as we continue to go forward. I, I think it is very important to keep that in mind is this isn't lip service. We're actually, they actually mean business. And the FTC is not joking around with their fines. They're big. Um, the next one on the list is to monitor your service providers. So this one I think is very, very useful just across the board and, and hopefully a little bit something you're doing already. Um, specifically, they call out having language in your contracts about the security expectations and, and monitoring the work of your service providers. As a service provider ourselves, <laughs> I'll leave that to uh, to you and Nate. Todd. Yeah, monitor your service providers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you you do right. And so as you continue to go through this, we've talked about this at the past, and and um, and it, it makes sense for most people is as the more, the workforce tends to go remote or things start to move to the cloud, you are now expanding your your threat surface. Um, and and what's ended up happening now are your attack surface is the correct phrase I was I was searching for there for a moment. Sorry about that. Uh, but as that continues to expand, you you don't get to just throw it to the cloud and go, hey, it's there. I don't have to worry about it. Microsoft's got it. You all know Microsoft doesn't have it. They, I mean, they're doing their job. They're doing the things that they need to do to be compliant for themselves. But they are not in charge of your security. So it is up to you to make sure that you're paying attention to that. And that gets into all the things we talked about before is, did you put the control in place? Did the person like Nate had mentioned that that implemented the security component for it? Did they know what they were doing? Which again, gets into that third party testing that we talked about a minute ago as well. Those things need to be in place and you do need to pay attention. You can't just simply went, oh, I moved it to the cloud. I got an MFA, we're good to go. Yeah, yeah. I'll just well, quick, just quickly, Nate, I, I, as I'm sure we've all experienced Microsoft does have a tendency to change some settings without a lot of warning or with no warning as a test run to see what would happen. 
this I feel falls into that because just because your settings are one way at the time doesn't mean they will be next month. So it's about, even though you have set it up correctly, making sure that those changes are going through, you're monitoring the blogs or, or keeping up with the information that they're bringing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, last thing I'll say about uh, service providers is um, there's a lot of managed service providers out there uh, today, right? There's some that are very effective and some that are still in a very immature state. Um, you know, even here at CIT, we tell our customers all the time, do your vendor due diligence and uh, management, CIT included as well, right? So if we're your managed service provider, you should be doing this to us as well. So um, we do third party testing, you know, and have reports to show where we're at um, on our security controls. And we invest a lot of time and effort and money to ensure that uh, things are still running uh, effectively. but. Again, you basically test the people that you're already trusting today, right? Uh, it's an ongoing process. So, really quick follow up Agreed. question before we like tangent off and I say, oh, yeah, let's keep on going. I swear we'll try to keep this in time. But when you say service providers, you've listed out, you mentioned Microsoft by name, you mentioned managed service providers. Who else falls under that category if you had a rapid fire? Anyone that's service or process you're using that isn't your own across the board um we we often i mean we, we talk tech but it does include courier services if you're shipping things it includes everything if you're using if you're not doing it fully in-house they are included yeah when you're looking at an audit when we go through these things it's everything it's it's your hvac it's your housekeeping it's it's anybody that's providing a service for you um we're tending to be as i said it's very technical right so if it's touching your network it's on your network it's using your internet your firewalls that's what we really care about but it is everything every aspect of any service that you're getting for your business matters and i i am coming at it from a you know, CMMC NIST perspective as well. I mean, it includes, in those scenarios, it includes people who, uh, you know, your cleaning services. It's it's literally everyone who has any access whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll just gloss over this other one, um, is just keeping the information security program current. We've I think we've already kind of touched on that as it's the regular maintenance and review of it. Um, so, I don't know if you guys had anything else to expand on it, but at I, least yearly. <laughs> yeah, at least yearly. I, I would like to make a, a clarity definition here of what they mean by this. They don't mean the individuals who are doing it. Um, they specifically mean make sure all of the documentation that explains what is being done and how it's being done, as well as how it's being reviewed, is up to date. So the program language specifically relates to everything it encompasses. If you have internal IT, then yes, that's included. But if you're just using this documentation, that's what they're talking about as well. And keeping current, as you guys said, is is at least yearly. Um, but making sure you're reviewing it as a team is also a great way to to ensure that you're not missing anything. And again, as as you continue to mature, starting in just to start, and this is kind of where we focus most of this is. Make sure you're doing it at least yearly. I, I can't emphasize that enough. But then as you mature it out, start to collect evidence that proves that you actually did the review, document that you reviewed your policies, document if you got a change management system, put all that information in there. If you've got a risk register, build it, document that you reviewed it, talk about it, et cetera. You'll, uh, it's, 
not something that they've explicitly listed uh, in the incident response plan that we're about to get to, but uh, change management uh, sections in each of your documents will uh, definitely be a good reminder that that needs to be done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I kind of inferred and implied it, but I appreciate yeah. you pointing that out because it is a distinction that needs to be made is yeah, it, it should be there. Um, so incident response plan, we talked about it. We alluded to it. Let's go. Yeah. So this is a, a large part of what I do every day. <laughs> Basically, the incident response plan is the, the way I, I tend to describe it is a fire evacuation plan for security incidents. So in the same way that you should regularly be doing evacuation plan uh, tests uh, in your office, you want to do the same thing for a security incident. And the FTC, I would say, agrees and has created a pretty clear-cut uh, list of items that need to go into it. If anyone else wants to <laughs> or wants oh. to add anything to that. Nope, oh, we're all done. Uh, yeah, no, I, I can go into it a little bit. Um, so I do a lot of incident response. Uh, so, you know, Matthew is doing a lot of helping with the actual creating these policies. And then a lot of um, my team is doing the actual, you know, you have ransomware, what happens, right? So the incident response plan is, like Matthew said, the, the plan of action for when that situation actually arises. So you should have a goal, which is defining certain things such as what's our recovery objectives, you know, who are our key individuals and who do we need to loop in, that kind of stuff. Um, the processes that we're going to take, such as things like, do we have a out-of-band communication channel? Because if email is down or the phones are down, how do you still communicate with everyone, right? Um, the clear roles and responsibilities. So, for example, uh, maybe the CEO is in charge today in a security incident. That better be handed off to someone else who is going to be that incident expert, right? Um, whatever they say has to go. <laughs> Um, you know, maybe that's the forensics firm, whoever you're working with at that time. Um, also, autonomy based off of the decision making. Again, maybe someone like that security individual doesn't have full autonomy on a day to day basis. In that situation, you should be able to elevate and delegate to them to say you have full autonomy to make the decisions that we need to be able to do because anything that slows down that process can hinder that uh, that uh, entire thing and prevent your business from being operational as fast as possible. Um, the other thing that I was going to say was a little bit of things such as the, communica uh, the communications and how you're going to be sharing information. So for example, let's say you have ransomware in the network, your email servers compromise, the threat actor might be sitting there in the emails. How do you start communicating with a forensics firm or incident response firm securely? Again, that kind of goes back to the outbound uh, channels, but you don't want to be tipping your hand saying, hey, by the way, we're about to recycle all the passwords. We're about to install the software, um, right? So you have to have that. Communication also can be to your customers. So do you have a plan of action to say, we have noticed that there is a security incident. We have engaged these people. Um, maybe you're not supposed to say anything because there's regulations that you need to do. Maybe there's certain regulations that say, I need to notify my customers within 72 hours, right? Um, going back to a little bit of the FTC and FDIC and all that kind of stuff. And then, once you're through that major 
process a postmortem. What happened? How do we ensure that doesn't happen again in the future? What's the key takeaway is kind of that retrospective plan of action. Yeah. yeah, a couple of things that I'd add on. Sorry, Matthew, but I'm going to jump in real quick. When we're talking about building out these plans, make sure that you don't have a single individual inside your organization where you say, well, I just call, I just call Nate. That's great. But at some point, Nate's going to take a vacation and inevitably that's when something's going to go wrong. It just, that's the nature of the world, unfortunately. So make sure that you have backups to your backups. And then the last thing is Nate mentioned this already is when you're working with, again, third parties, this includes your cybersecurity, insurance, your legal team, et cetera, make sure they're a part of the plan as well. Um, there are a lot, a lot of cybersecurity insurance um, packages that say specifically, if you have an event, the very first step you're supposed to do is call them. That isn't usually what most people do. They'll call whoever they need to call to, to plug the holes and get things going again, and that's totally fine. But that that person, we're just Nate said we do this for a living, if you call us, the very first thing is we're going to say is, did you call the cyber and security insurance? And then they'll go, nope, but I'm about to make that call right now. And we say, great, we'll start digging in, but call them immediately. And then they're going to loop in your legal team, et cetera. I mentioned that because it's absolutely critical. If you don't loop them in, they may decline the claim. So um, just a little tip from your Uncle Todd here. Make sure you loop in I, your insurance org. <laughs> I think that those those are probably the things I spend the most time on when I'm working with customers about this. It's it's internal and external communication. More importantly, it's does this third party, like you mentioned with your insurance, have their own policy? The maybe you're you have a uh, another company that handles your uh, credit card data, so it's not going through you, but them as part of your supply chain, if they're compromised, do they have a process that you can then document so that you know what they'll do? There's a incident that I was not involved in, but heard about in which the first a company heard that they had been part of a an incident was the newspaper, their local newspaper, calling them to ask for their statement on it. And that's not something you're ever going to be prepared for if you've never heard it before. <laughs> so there's there's things that can go into this document with that communication style that's not just what do we do in the case of ransomware. Yes, you need that in there as well, but try and be as prepared for those supply chain attacks, but third parties, maybe things that people think impact you but don't. Maybe there's another company with a with a similar name that is or maybe a similar website that is semi-regularly forgotten or confused. Uh, look at what's happening at the moment with uh, the all the Liz Trusses on Twitter um, <laughs> and how the wrong people are getting tagged in, in comments. So those things can happen and still require a response. Yeah, the uh, I guess the one thing that I was going to say um, is if you want to go see some of the statistics based off of those that notify security incidents internally first versus externally first. Um, Mandian, uh, big incident response firm, they do put publish a report about that. Um, so you can dig into a whole bunch of cybersecurity stats there. Um, it's it's pretty great. In the past, it used to be very heavily externally uh, facing when you get that notification saying, hey, by the way, we noticed you're compromised for some reason. Uh, maybe your website's down and you're ransomware or something. But um, yeah, take a look at that. I know 
we've been talking even internally about internal uh, ransomware response plan. You know, we'll have a whole podcast uh, focused just based off of great your ransomware. Now what? You know, uh, because no one ever knows what to do until they're in that situation, and it can be super stressful. So if we can help uh, alleviate some of that stress and make you a little familiar ahead of time, unfortunately, if you ever come down to that uh, situation. Hope not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, then it sounds like a fantastic topic. So the last thing that I'll throw on here, and then we can we can sign off for yet another podcast. But the last thing I'll throw on here is we've spent a, a, over an hour talking about the FTC. So clearly we think there's an enormous amount of information that needs to be shared. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, so naturally, I, I just in my mind think, well, what happens if I need help? And my typical response for this, if you want, listen to any of our podcasts, I tend to say it right, is find the help you need. Friends, family, CIT, whomever it is, reach out, get the insights that you need, because it isn't going to be as simple as I just walk through the checklist and I get this in place. So um, if you need help, find help. There's a ton of it out there. I, I've said it before, too, as we're in this together. So if you need anything, reach out to those that you trust. Anything you'd like to add, Nate? Uh, I only had a joke about uh, you saying find the help you need, friends and family. So and you called yourself Uncle Todd. So call <laughs> <up>. <laughs> fair enough. So tips from Uncle Todd is our takeaway from both of these episodes. Cool cool definitely but no i'm hearing not a diy checklist by any means yes there's fines there's penalties for not following the safeguard rule correct correct cool awesome well thank you todd thank you nate thank you matthew and tara and i for sitting here listening smiling and nodding for all of you that are just listening we're here smiling and nodding the whole time but this was great. If anybody has any questions, wants to connect with Uncle Todd, by all means, email us <laughs> info at cit-net.com or head out to our website, cit-net.com backslash podcast. And we will be back next week with yet another episode. 